Welcome back to the PWH podcast. I am Pastor Kyle, and uh, we've been doing, this is our fourth week now of a relationship series, um, how to have um, godly relationships, lasting and fruitful relationships. How did God design the relationships to actually work? That's what we've been talking about. Last week, we talked about uh, the, rela- the, the gender roles of men and women and how God made us differently, but uh, for the same team, but different tasks on the same team. One is not better than the other. One is not higher than the other. One is not more special than the other. They were created by God for different things. And ultimately, that, uh, that unity, lo- the, the unity of a family looks like the unity of the Trinity, I'll explain a little bit more about that. We didn't go very much in depth about that. But the Father and the Son, that's easy. We all know Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Trinity. So we have God the Father who's revealed in in creation. We have God the Son who's revealed uh, in in creation's redemption. And we have the Holy Spirit who's revealed in our lives um, by, by making us children of God and giving us power, uh, God's power to serve other people. So... As we talk about the redemption of the of the the couple, the redemption of the family, I want us to look just a little bit more at the Trinity. Father, Son, that's easy. We got that. What about the Holy Spirit? Well, it talks about in Genesis that in Genesis chapter two, that when Adam was looking at all the animals, it says he didn't find any helper that was suitable for him. Now that sounds in in especially in today's culture that sounds awful. That sounds like he was looking for some sort of secretary, or some sort of sexual helper, or some something something that would ju- someone that would just be there to serve his needs. That is not at all what it means. Okay, so the word in Hebrew for helper is the word ezer. Ezer. Is frequently is used many times throughout the Bible, but it, it is, as far as I understand, it is only used this once in regards to the woman. The rest of the time it's used in Scripture, it is used as an attribute of God Himself. I'm sure you've heard the word uh, or the name Ebenezer. Well, we all have Ebenezer Scrooge, right? Ebenezer is actually a compound Hebrew word. The word Eben is the word for rock. Ezer is the word for helper. In other words, this word is used particularly throughout the Psalms and the book of Isaiah as the rock of my help. Ebenezer, the rock of my help. And so it uses this word Ezer as God. He is the the helper of orphans and widows. He is... Uh, my help in time of need. In other words, it, lest you think that woman being designated as the Ezer is something less than or some, is something subservient to man, it is not because God himself is our Ezer. He is the one who comes alongside us and helps us. He is the rock of our help. He is our very present help in time of need. He is the the help of the orphan and the widow or the the person who is uncovered. He is their cover. And so I hardly think that when God uses that word about himself, 
it is a subservient term for it to be used as a woman in relationship to her husband. That word helper has this nurturing component to it. When you were a kid and you, uh, and you got hurt, who did you go to first? Did you run to daddy first or did you run to mommy first? I don't know about you, but I wanted mommy first. My kids wanted mommy first. Um, when my kids were little, we got four kids and the youngest right now is 11. The oldest is 16, moving on towards 17. When they were little, little kids learning to just walk and they'd kind of trip or maybe bump their knee or, or scrape their hand or something. My wife's first reaction was, oh, my baby, my baby. And, and you, you know that it wasn't bad. They just stumbled and it was okay. Maybe a, a little scrape or a little bump. It was nothing serious. And, and I'd have to say, hey, Teresa, don't make wimps and sissies out of my kids. Man, they're okay. Let them get up. Let them dust themselves up. But the nurturing mother is, oh, my baby. And the, and the somewhat less nurturing father is, let them alone. It's just the difference between men and women. And it's not that men are incapable of mercy or compassion or nurturing, just not as much as women are. And it's that concept of ezer. We are the covering. They are the heart of the home. Men are the covering. Women are the heart of the home. That nurturing ezer. And again, it's not that one is better than the other. They have different roles to play. So this Ezer is, is referred to, to God. He is actually the prophet Samuel uh, mentioned God as our Ebenezer after a battle where God really came through from. He's up to this point, God has been our helper. That is no subservient role. If God is your helper, he, is not, he does not bend to your will or to your uh, capriciousness. He doesn't bend to your sinfulness but he's there, still there to help you because he loves you. Now, in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is, is known as a Greek term, the paraclete. Paraclete basically means your helper, right? Para in Greek um, means alongside. And we know that in English because of we'll, we, have the same, we have the same prefix, parallel are two lines that run alongside each other. Paramedic is a medic that comes alongside and helps you. Parachute is while you're in free fall, you've got something alongside that's going to float you down to the earth. And so the Holy Spirit is the paraclete. He's the one who comes alongside and helps us. And again, a term like that being designated for God himself in his relationship to you is certainly not subservient. And that is not a machista or, or a chauvinistic term. But it is the nurturing nature of God that comes alongside you in your time of need like a paramedic who is walking right there alongside you when you need it the most. He is there. It is a very feminine quality that is attributed to the Holy Spirit. And so when you talk about the family as a symbol of the Trinity, we've got God the Father and we've got God the Holy Spirit that has the feminine qualities to him. And when we have God the Son, wow, we've got mom and dad and child. That's why the devil 
hates families so much and works to destroy through divorce and through infidelity and through the 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 real phenomenon over the last 20 to 25 years all around the world of the explosion of homosexuality and transgenderism all across the globe that's trying to redefine and really destroy deconstruct the family because the devil hates anything that looks like god you personally as his image and likeness or the family that that is that earthly representative of love and unity and the different aspects of God's nature in father, mother, child that come together to form this image of the Trinity. It's amazing, but the devil hates it and works hard at every point to deconstruct what God has done. Last week, we talked about that the wife was, is created by God to respond to her husband's covering. To respond to her husband's leadership. Again, that is not chauvinistic. But at the end of the day, you can only have one leader. I've been in leadership long enough, and I remember hearing my grandfather say this as well, that anything that has more than one head is a monster. <laughs> and there can only be one leader, and God created man first. He created man not uh, physically stronger, not so that he can dominate physically, but is he, that he can fulfill his role as the covering. God made man as the head, and he made woman as the heart, and them working in conjunction with each other. It says that in the book of Ephesians chapter 5. We will get there a little bit later in this podcast. But because man was the head, he was the covering, and both man and woman, the Bible says in Genesis 1, through 28, says they had dominion over all things that God had created, over the, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, the, the animals in the field, and everything that creeps and crawls along the ground. They had dominion and authority over it. That's very important because that comes to play in the story. In Genesis chapter 3, we have probably the most heartbreaking chapter of all the Bible. It's, the, it's when uh, humanity fell into sin and everything that God had made in its perfection was broken, including the marital relationship. And so <clears throat> the story goes that Eve um, is walking by the tree and the devil in the form of a serpent calls out to her and says, hey, did God really say that you shouldn't eat of this tree? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. She answers the devil. She answers the serpent. Yeah, 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 yeah. He said, we shouldn't eat it, not even touch of it, lest we die. And then the devil says, you won't die. Because God knows that the moment you eat like it, you will become like him, knowing good from evil. And then the Bible says that the woman saw that the fruit was pleasant to the eye and it was desirable to eat. And so she took her hand and she ate it, thus disobeying the one thing that God had required them not to do. And so was it because the fruit was so beautiful and she was so hungry at the moment it looked just so delectable and juicy? No, it wasn't because of that. It was because of, this, of the, the deception of the servant that says, it said, you will be like God. In other words, you read between the lines there. What the devil is saying is that God has withheld the best from you. Uh, God has better things and, and, and he doesn't want you to have them. So take it for yourself. And when you take it for yourself out of utter pride and selfishness and out of fear of missing out, 
get it for yourself and eat it. And basically you're flipping the middle finger to God and saying, I'll do this on my own now. I don't need you. I'm going to become like you, which by the way, was uh, the devil's sin when you, you read about in the book of Isaiah. Book of Isaiah, Lucifer, who is one of the archangels in heaven, close to God, he says, I will ascend on high. I will exalt my throne above the most high. I will be, I, 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 I'm going to be God. I'm going to usurp his place. And now he's telling the woman to do the same thing. You'll be like him, so usurp it, take it for yourself. And she fell for it. She did. Now, there was a time where Eve or, or the woman, the woman actually didn't have the name Eve yet. That didn't happen until after sin, where the woman had eaten the fruit and her husband had not eaten it yet. We don't know how long that that time period was. It could have been seconds, minutes. It could have been hours. We don't know. The Bible doesn't say. And that kind of begs the question, where was Adam during this whole time? Was he, well, he was, he was either one of two places. He was either next to his wife while this was all going down, or he was somewhere else. Okay. So where was he and what role did he have to play in all of this? And we're going to see how the role right now gets flipped onto its head and the marriage is utterly destroyed. Let's give Adam the benefit of the doubt for a moment. Let's say he was somewhere else in the garden and he, uh, uh, he didn't see what transpired between his wife and the serpent. And some hour, two, three hours later, his wife comes in the garden. She finds him. She has this fruit in her hands. And she says, husband, look at this. I ate it and I'm not dead. And my eyes have been opened. Would you eat it with me? There was a moment where Adam had a choice to make. Will I eat or will I not? And so he, uh, he could have, well, he ended up eating and sinning along with her, but he could have said, no, what have you done? Now, the Bible also says that in the cool of the day, God came to walk with them in the garden. And if Adam had said, no, I will not join you in that, I will not disobey uh, our God, and then God comes in the cool of the day and says, now this is all hypothetical, okay? So just understand me. This is a what if scenario. So what if Adam had done that? And God would have said, well, where's your wife? Why isn't she here with you? And he said, God, something terrible has happened. She ate of the fruit. He said, son, did you eat of that fruit too? No, no, I did not eat of the fruit, but I've come looking for you. What can be done? I said, well, son, I'm sorry. I'd said that the moment that you eat that, you will die. God, no, 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 no. And just remember, this is a hypothetical what if conversation saying, no, what? I can't, I can't stand that. She's my wife. She's my bride. I love her. And God said, well, maybe one thing can be done. Anything. You just tell me. I'll do it. And God says, well, her, her sin requires death. I already told you that. Yes, I know. You could give your life for hers. And Adam could have said, I'll do it. I will give my life for hers so that she can live. I will bear in myself 
the penalty of her transgression. Why could he have done that? He was the covering. And he could have done that. You say, well, pastor, this seems a little bit fantastic for me. Is it, though? Is it? Isn't that what Jesus did for his bride? Hmm. He died for all the sins of the world. He was sinless. At that point, Adam still would have been sinless. What I believe would have happened had Adam taken that choice. I believe he would have, been, he would have risen from the dead. Because Jesus died for the sins of his bride and God, as a sinless sacrifice and God brought him back from the dead too. Adam could have covered his wife. And he didn't. But that's giving Adam the benefit of the doubt. And we see he failed his wife. I actually think that Adam was right next to his wife. Again, I can't prove it. But that's where I think. Because it says she turned and she gave it to him. So it, it leads me to believe that he was probably right next to her. So let's just, let's just take that for a moment. He was right next to her, okay? And, and he, that means if he's right next to her, he's seeing this whole thing go down. He's listening to the lies of the devil. The Bible says that the woman was deceived. It doesn't say the man was deceived, but the woman was deceived. So that means Adam's listening. He's not being deceived, and he's watching his wife be deceived and be tempted, and he says nothing. And you wonder what might have been going through his mind. He says, well, you know, God said that we were going to die if we did that. Well, I don't want to figure out what that means. So maybe, maybe she can be my guinea pig. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll let her eat the fruit and see if she dies or drops down dead or see, see what happens to her. I've always been a little curious. We'll let her, we'll let her go for it, not covering her. And so she eats of the fruit and he sees that nothing happens. He doesn't realize that something, that nothing has happened and, and, or, or that something has happened, but he hasn't yet partaken of that fruit. He sees that she doesn't die. And he says, I guess, well, I guess it, it, it may be okay for me to take this fruit. So he takes it, he eats it too, and then everything falls apart on him. Okay, so let's think about that for just a moment. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28 says that, Adam and his wife had authority over everything that creeps and crawls along the ground. Birds of the sky, fish of the sea, every beast of the field. At any point, either Adam or his wife could have looked at that serpent and said, Get out of here, you liar. And that serpent would have obeyed them. Adam saw his wife getting tempted. He saw her reach for the fruit. He saw her take it to her mouth and he did nothing to defend her. He did nothing to cover her. He, she was deceived. He was not. Yet he did not say, having seen through the deception, he did not say, get out, shut up, be gone with you. Get out of my garden and leave my wife alone. He didn't do it. He did not cover his wife, no matter how you slice it, whether he was somewhere else or right next to her, he failed his wife and didn't cover her. And now, and now they're ashamed. They realize they have sinned. They realize that something of God's glory has left them. They realize they are naked and ashamed. They were naked before already, but now they realize 
that there is something of them that has been uncovered. Just as he uncovered his wife due to their sin and rebellion, God has now uncovered them and they feel it. And the first thing that they do is they run to try and cover themselves. They hide and they sew fig leaves together to cover their private parts, their shameful parts. Why? Because every one of us longs to be covered The man was to cover his wife just as Jesus is to cover the man. And now they have lost covering. The wife has lost her husband's covering and and Adam has lost God's covering. And they said, we need to cover ourselves. We are humiliated. We are ashamed. We are afraid and we need to hide it and we need to try and cover it up. I'm just telling you, Fig leaves, I mean, they're pretty good-sized leaves, but they don't make good clothes. Just one stiff breeze and bam, everything's fallen off of you all over again. That's what happens when sin comes in. That's what happens personally. That's what happens in relationships. How many times have men tried to hide things from their wives that they were doing? Why? Because they know it's wrong. They know their wife will get upset. They know maybe not consciously but maybe even instinctively that there's their 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 alcoholism or their pornography or their carousing or their their infidelity or whatever it is they're doing their gambling is somehow uncovering their wife and there's a need to hide it they're flirting with some girl on text they're texting some girl from work and they're trying to hide it why and women can hide things as well things of a similar nature. We try and hide. And God calls to them when he comes looking for them. He says, where are you? They come out of hiding. Adam says, here I am. He says, why were you hiding? Well, I, I mean, I was, I was naked and I was afraid. He said, who told you you were naked? Did you eat of the tree that I told you not to? And, and immediately, oh, now we see sin has now entered the scene. The first thing sin does to us, it makes us want to hide and it makes us want to cover things up. And then now it affects the relationship. Now it affects the marriage. Did you, Adam, he, he's not talking to Eve right now. He's not talking about the wife. He said, Adam, did you eat of the fruit? And he said, it's the woman you gave me. She did it. And she gave me to eat and I ate because of her. You can hear, oh my goodness, you can hear the the guy saying, oh my gosh, you know, God, I was just fine until you brought her along. You know what, God, now that I think of it, she talks too much. And, and, And this whole sin thing really is her fault. Forgetting that he didn't cover his wife. He didn't defend her. He didn't fight for her. He didn't love her enough to step up to the plate for her. And now he's blaming her. Man, you can almost, he's almost trying to gaslight her. Now, wives who are women who are listening uh, or watching this right now. If somebody did that to you, how would that make you feel? Wives, if your husband did that to you and he totally throws you under the bus. And he totally, and not only throws you under the bus and it, boom, boom, boom. And then he throws it in reverse and it, boom, boom, and gets, goes over you again. What is your reaction to him going to be? 
My guess is your reaction to your husband doing that was very similar to what uh, the, uh, the woman's reaction was to Adam. Was like, are you kidding me right now? And you better believe that something in their relationship broke at that moment. Later on in chapter 3, it says that Adam called his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living. Before, when he first saw her back in Genesis chapter 2, he said, her name is woman because she was taken from the man. In the Hebrew, it reads like this. The word for man is ish. And it says this, she shall be called Isha because she was taken from the Ish. In other words, he was Ish and she was taken from him and she had another form of his name, Isha. She was different but yet same. She was different but yet they were one. Which, by the way, is why when the marriage happens, the wife takes the husband's last name. It's because the two are becoming one. And now he says, your name is Eve. My guess is that had to be another knife in the heart of his wife. You're no longer Isha. You're no longer, you're no longer one with me. You're going to be Eve. Yeah, we're still, we're still married. Yeah, we're still, we're still, uh, going to procreate together and live life together. But at the end of the day, there's been a rupture in our relationship and you're not Isha anymore. You are Eve. So Adam, so God, so when Adam throws his wife under the bus, God looks at the woman and says, is this true? She says, yeah, it's the serpent though. It's the serpent. Now she's blame shifting just like her husband did. She got thrown under the bus and she doesn't want to take that. So she's going to throw the serpent under the bus. <clears throat> and so, uh, he, so he looks at the serpent. Is this true? And he says, this is going to, he curses the ser serpent. He curses the ground. He curses the woman. He curses the man. Now because of sin, everything of God's good creation is now under a terrible curse of sin and death. And he says to the woman, he says, because of this, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth and your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. When guys hear that verse, it's like your desire will be for your husband. It's like, yeah, it will. She wants all of this. No, it's not sexual desire. Remember what we've talked about for the last two weeks now. The man is the covering, the roof, and she's the heart that the roof protects. Adam did not protect her. And he says, now your desire is going to be for your husband. The desire is not a sexual desire. It is a positional desire. The heart now wants to become, you know what? You failed me. Now, now I'm going to do your job for you. Boom. Now I am going to be the roof of our house. I'm going to be the one in charge here. I'm going to wear the pants in this family. I'm going to direct things. And we all know people who live that way. We've seen it. And let me just tell you something that, again, sounds chauvinistic, and it, I don't mean it to be, and it's actually at its heart. It's not. But where the woman runs the household, where the woman runs the husband, it is never a healthy or truly happy household because it is out of order. 
going back to the metaphor that we, or the analogy that we introduced last week about the football players, the center and the wide receiver, they can't switch places because the team doesn't function that way. When the wife becomes the head and the man becomes, uh, um, becomes the, the, well, not the head, it's out of order and things go, they go screwy on you. They get, they get, they get messed up because it's out of order. But he said, because of sin, this is what the relationship is going to look like now. There's always going to be this fighting for position. She's going to want your position. And do you think the guy is going to take that laying down? Oh, heck no. He is going to fight her for that position that is rightfully his. And then she's not going to like that. And she's going to keep fighting. And you get this, this tearing down of the relationship there fighting each other. They're pulling each other down. They're stabbing each other in the back, doing everything they can to, so I can be the one on the top. I can be the one who's domineering. When the relationship was never meant to be domineering at all. But now sin has introduced the destruction and the tearing down of the relationship. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We talked about this last week and it's the whole premise of what we're talking about relationships. That we are the bride of Christ. Jesus did not to come, come to be served by his bride, nor did he come to be dictated to by his bride. He came to serve her and to give his life for her. That is not the, the, the sinful way of humanity's thinking. Humanity's thinking is I'll trample on anybody I need to, I'll stab in the back anybody I need to as long as I get to the top. Jesus said to his disciples, the greatest among you are the ones who do not lord it over you, but the ones who serve. The greatest will be the most humble. The greatest will be the least. The greatest will be the servants. And Jesus says, I came to serve. I came to give my life. You can go back to uh, part one of this relationship series and we defined love within a relationship and the love is sacrificial. It is self-giving. Now let's move over to Ephesians chapter five, where it talks about the mystery of marriage is revealed in the mystery of Jesus and his church. Jesus will marry his church just as a man marries his bride. Now in Ephesians chapter five, there's a verse that women don't like and men do like. It says, now women, and it's this blunt, women, submit yourselves to your husbands. And the husbands go, heck yeah, Bible says it, woman, you got to submit to me. <laughs> if the husband has that attitude, you are doing everything in your power to destroy your marriage with that attitude. It's absolutely selfish and ridiculous. Ridiculously idiotic. But the men also forget that the very next verses say, and husbands, 
Give your life for your wife, just as Jesus gave himself for his church. So women are to submit to their husbands, but husbands, we are to die for our wives. What did Jesus do for his bride? He died for her. He serves her. Women, listen, watch this. Women are to submit to their husbands. Husbands are to give themselves for their wives. And as they give themselves, the women are to continue to submit and they are continue to serve and submit and serve. Whereas sin says, no, I'm on top, I'm on top, I'm on top. And they pull each other down to destruction. The redemption of Jesus in a relationship is I'm going to serve you and I'll submit and I'll serve and I'll submit. And both of you end up lifting each other up to be the best that God made you to be, that you love each other and you serve each other and God is glorified in your relationship and the relationship is happy. Uh, there's a there's a couple that that I know who many years ago, we're talking probably more than 30 years ago, when they got married, they had a, um, they were having a, just a knockout drag down fight of, of just between them. They were yelling and yelling and yelling. And the, and, and the, the guy brought up Ephesians five and he looks at his wife and he yells, submit, submit to me, woman, submit. And she looks back at him with the same verse in Ephesians five and says, die, die. <laughs> now they've made it over the long haul and God is, <laughs> has helped them through their things. And they're a wonderful couple. But the thing is, we are not to use this verse as an arrow against each other, a spear jabbing each other. Well, the Bible says to submit, woman. No, no, we don't live that way. If you truly have the heart of Jesus to your wife or you truly have the heart of Jesus for your husband, you're going to serve each other. I once heard somebody say this. It is not difficult for a wife to submit to her husband when her husband treats her like Jesus. That's good stuff right there. As we, as we lift each other up, as we serve each other, as men, you take your role as the covering. We talked about already emotional covering, financial covering, physical covering, and spiritual covering. Providing that security for your wife, you'll find that she'll relate to you in a way that honors you as the head of the house. That's how God made it. And it's amazing. God bless you guys. We're going to stop there for today. Next week, we're going to talk about character and virtue within the relationship. We're going to talk to uh, all the single ladies and the single guys about how to prepare and how to position yourself for the right person that God has for you. All right. God bless you. We'll see you at for part five of the relationship series next week. Don't forget, you can find us on YouTube at Pathway Home. You can find us on TikTok at Pathway Home. You can also find us on Instagram at pwh.tv. I'm Pastor Kyle. I'm your pastor, and this is Pathway Home, your church. God bless you.